0: Out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello and welcome. This is The C86 Show. I'm David Eastall. As you know, we love a special guest. This week it's going to be the turn of the singer-songwriter. It is the one and only David Westlake, one-time member of The Servants, but has now had a solo career and has a new album out, which is going to be on Tiny Global Productions. The album is titled My Beautiful England. This is the interview. So after several minutes of casual chat, we got down to that exciting subject that was the early formative years. David, we're waiting. Tell us all.
1: Well, it was there from very early on. Um, I grew up in Hayes Middlesex uh the home then of EMI Records and my mother and father had um Beatles records and uh, I grew up with those and listened to those on a reel-to-reel tape recorder the first single I bought with my own money was um the immaculate this town ain't big enough for the both of us by Sparks right 1965 um so close close to you um, it's a bit of a carpenter's, uh,
0: <laughs> I was going to say, it was, it, it, it reminded <laughs> me of the carpenter's.
1: <laughs> but, um, but yeah, all those things you mentioned, glam, um, and, um, and then afterwards, of course, punk came along, but before then, um, I, I, I think I have it in the, uh, the bookcase here, um, I had this thing, the enemy Encyclopedia of Rock, and that was the thing, I was thinking of that just now when we were talking about buying a record and taking it home. I would leaf through that and found the Velvet Underground and Captain Beefheart and all the rest. And these yes, used to travel up to Oxford Street and um, buy them in then the Virgin Basement Store or Megastore, HMV. Or there was a wonderful place, which I I still think about Simon's Basement Records, which was opposite the megastore, I don't know. um if anyone else remembers that. Um, I'm sure they will.
0: I mean, it's interesting because my brother, i got a brother who's seven years older, and he had one of those rock discography books that I used to leaf through, and you'd see the top ten albums of all time. At that stage, it was always Marvin Gaye, wasn't it? And the Beach Boys, and then Sergeant Pepper, and then that was like probably where Joni Mitchell came in, and The Incredible String Band. My um, God, But yes, it was... Wow. It was... <laughs>
1: interesting book.
0: It was well. It was kind of you'd relieve through it and think, "Oh my God, I should like all these bands." And you know, every few years, I try and enjoy the work of the Incredible String Band. Never did. <laughs> well,
1: again, um, I'm with you there
0: it was it was difficult but that but but luckily we had a record library and i think if you spent had a 5 pound a year subscription you could take out any four records at a time and that's where i started to become obsessed and consumed with the the world of the tdk d90 cassette and recording all these fantastic albums so I'm finding
1: um, out which albums fit on 45 minutes and um, which yeah. perhaps you had to omit a track to get the whole thing on on one side of that
0: tdk yes this is true actually if you were getting you know <laughs> into that world of yes what track to emit. yeah this is true actually I'd, for- I'd forgotten that kind of precision stuff and whether it really counted that you had the album if you had it on cassette that was recorded rather than actually buy it it was very angsty in my early years so you can tell um did it really count but yeah so when did when well, did you just,
1: but before you move on talking about you know fitting onto a tape it- I suppose another reason it stays with me is that that arithmetic um, cropped up again when making, you know, when you make an album, um, you you find out when you go to the pressing plant, when when a label is kind enough to invite you to the, the mastering, you find out that for optimum quality that one side of an LP should be no more than 22 minutes. And of course there are longer ones, Uh, You know, those old golden hour of the kinks-type compilations that are over half an hour aside. Yes. Um, But, uh, again, you have to think about timings there. Yeah. So, again, that arithmetic return.
0: It does. So as we were trucking through the, the the 70s, I mean, I was too young for punk. And my brother, by the way, was also into prog rock. So I became quite obsessed with, you know, the bands like Yes and Genesis, Barclay James Harvest, Wishbone Ash, the solo work well, of Rick the Wakeman.
1: The shame about the records.
0: Well, you know, Roger Dean posters were everything, weren't they? Mm-hmm. So then, so how did you sort of navigate? Because you were a year younger, so you wouldn't have, you'd have still been quite young when punk sort of came along.
1: I um I was as you say I was too young to be in a band but um I was completely um, energised by punk and I, I followed it in on TV and in the newspapers and um, I bought the singles and um, my first um, my first LP that I bought previously was a Hard Days Night. Um, but that was of course released years before. um, Mm -hmm. um, Released in in fact the year or two years before, no one year before I was born, one or two years before I was born. Um, But the first album that I bought on its release was the Pistols album. I got in um, Selenby because I went to school then in in Harrow and on the way back uh, South Harrow um, was um, Selenby Records um, which um, was a great place. And I just, you know, even that experience of spending hours, really, and you will know that experience from going and looking for the, you know, those incredible string band albums that you <laughs> were searching. <laughs> but um, it, it was a wonderful shop, and I just remember spending a long time in there and, um, and other record shops. I remember, and that's another thing for, for we... Record lovers, I, I still remember. I think it's in the runoff groove of. I think it's in the runoff groove of unknown pleasures. Joy Division. Something. Right. I've only got record shops left. I think it's in that. And I thought that. That I always remembered that. And again, it was um, you know a prescient thing when you think that eventually, you know, we thought we'd never see the the demise of the record shops. Uh you know, very few left
0: now. I know they were always run by rather intimidating by people. The past
1: disappearing at a similar rate now. Yes,
0: but they were quite um I found them quite intimidating because there was always like cool people behind the counters, sort of smoking and talking very loudly and um and sort of feeling very judgment, you know, like you were going to get really judged by the sort of choice that you'd made because um obviously it, it was gonna crumble. You you could get sort of squashed at that point, couldn't you? It would have been like being at school having to do your public speaking just going up with this record going, Have you, can I buy this, please? So Only, um, if,
1: only if you were buying, you know, um, the Alan Parsons project or, or something like that, but then you deserve to be humiliated. But,
0: <laughs> <laughs> I thought Turn of a Friendly Card was a classic. <laughs> I, <laughs> you know the
1: titles. Fabulous.
0: I, I, I do. Well, it's ensconced. You know, I can't get it out. You know, The, the Six Wives of Henry VIII and... Um, Journey oh, to the fair center. Play.
1: Rick Wakeman. Different story, different story. I mean, yeah, <laughs> but, you know, Hunky Dory. Oh, Kasa. yes, this is
0: true. Yeah. It is true. But I did once see his kind of when Yes were being inducted in the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. I could see why the band all hated each other, and especially Rick, because he thought he was a stand-up comedian making quite crass jokes, which the rest of the band must have thought, "God, I've heard this so many times." Rick. Oh no, well,
1: I've got, I've got time for Rick. <laughs> yeah.
0: oh, he lives just down the road in this land so um oh, i've never wow. i've never seen him but there you go yes he he was there with Hunky dory but um yeah so then seven you know we had 79 thatcher gets in don't we the the we have the falkland crisis then we have the miners strike greenham common sort of 81 you'd be 16 leaving school at this age wouldn't you that's right yeah did you leave school at 16 or did you stay on and do your a, a levels
1: I did leave school at sixteen. In fact, um, I, I, um, I left without taking my O levels, and uh, I, I went to um, uh, I went for one day because I met my wife at primary school, and we we uh, we went to the same school there, and then we went to the the Catholic grammars in Harrow. She to the Sacred Heart, uh, me to Salvatorian. Uh, I to Salvatorian College. And um, there was a, a sick form college after, after the grammars called Saint Dominic's. I went for one day and didn't return. Um, and from because I had a I was, I was already then writing songs and working at working towards making a band, um, much affected by the this will sound um, strange, perhaps, but much affected by the loss of John Lennon. I thought no point um, wasting time doing something that I had that my heart was not in. Yes. So I, um, so again, uh, propelled by that in, in some way, um, I just put, I I had a I had a job of, well of sorts. I, I worked at the Hayes Working Men's Club. Right. Uh, so I, I worked behind a bar. I was I was underage, but my uncle was the steward, so so that was all fine.
0: God, passive um, smoking must have nearly killed you by the age of twenty.
1: Well, that was everywhere then, of course. And it, it, if you socialised, um, that that was all there. And um, and um, so yeah, it's it it's it was a, a real culture shock when when the ban came, and um, suddenly you could wake up in the morning and. Your bedroom didn't, again, still smell like a pub, as possibly you'll remember.
0: <laughs> yes, well, and the, the pillow was disgusting with the hair. But, well, yeah, so then with the Working Men's Club, were you just sitting there in your bedroom, sort of strumming away, writing lyrics ferociously? You do sound like Stephen Morrissey at this stage.
1: <laughs> well, I, I was, um, um, well, I'm happy with that. Um, But, um, yeah, I I was writing songs um, uh, with with playing guitar with um, my friend who I started the band with, Edward Moran, or or as the Irish say, Moran. Oh, yeah. Um, I'm still saying Ed Moran. Um, But he... I was also encouraged i felt encouraged by the fact that he bought a bass when i played him the songs that i'd started writing and and because he bought a bass i felt wow that's you know that's really compliments so that that again made i felt emboldened to continue so i I kept writing uh trying to record things and um it it was at uh the hayes working men's club they had a An organist called Matty Ross, um, who was I suppose then about the age I am now, and um, we did the first recording I ever did at his little home studio. He he kindly invited um, me. uh, I used to get on well with him. He was a a very gifted uh, jazz player, and I I was not a jazz fan, but he was a really nice man. He was he was blind, and um, when we worked in his studio I still remember it he um he used his fingers his hands to um to gauge the recording level and um it was it was very good and it was it was it's was quite touching to see
0: um, yeah well it, yeah, so, he, it sounds a bit like Robin Miller the other producer who went on to work with Shadé and such massive hits because he also was blind wasn't he
1: oh I didn't know I, I haven't looked into that no.
0: The world of Robin.
1: Yes. it's I all remember there. A, a music journalist called Robin Miller. I don't know if it uh, sounds unrelated, but I think in sounds, I think it was a female
0: Robin. Oh, right. No, this is a chap who, who sadly went blind, but he worked on a lot of those kind of records like Chate. I can't remember anybody else he'd worked on, but he went on Desert Island Discs many decades, years later. He, I think he captured the world of smooth jazz soul funk that was his kind of forte. He might have even worked with everything but the girl, but I might be making that up, actually. OK. There you go. Yes. So, so yes, that, that world of um, recording. And what did it feel like, your first vocal, hearing that back?
1: Um, unusual. Uh, probably the answer you will get from most people, um, because you try recording yourself at home and you think, oh, I don't like that. Um, but then when Matty did it, he, you know, you stick a bit of reverb on, and it, you think, oh, I'm some distance away, you know, for the first time. Um, but then when you read more about recording and you of course or always revert back to the Beatles, you know, um dry is is the ideal. I think it's it's the most intimate and, and one that you can connect most with. Um so um but it was nevertheless it was a first step and yeah. um, and when did, dis- when did you when did
0: you when did you discover your voice did did you because it's kind of a thing isn't it not everyone just goes and starts sort of getting behind the mic
1: i, I suppose they don't but i i really wanted to do it i felt the impetus to do it and um uh, i i suppose lis- listening to punk as well i did not have the sharp edge of a John Lydon voice, I had a a mellow sort of baritone voice, um, so I um, I think I took that into account. I couldn't go up and give a real um, you know harsh punk vocal. No, um, I, I could um, do something else.
0: Yeah, and, and as and as the eighties progressed on, eighty three big year roughly the smiths hit the ground don't they well hit the airwaves and things start to sort of change and the world of indie pop which i put down at the start of 83 and has a kind of a glory period to 87 that's the years the end of the smiths actually and then ecstasy comes along and then that next wave of 16 18 year olds want their kind of soundtrack and their new artists that they've just discovered um so what was it like do it for you sort of sort of 82 83 time because there's suddenly a lot of the indie labels creation records the living room this venue that alan mckee well, hearing had. about
1: hearing about your evolution i, I would say um mine and time of discovery mine was different um i remember when i was ill uh, in the i suppose around 78 77 or 78 um it was my mother who bought me um an issue of uh sounds and um uh, a member of kiss was on the front uh, as i re- as i remember um who, who I'm, I'm not a fan but I, I just suddenly was gripped by the press uh, the music press. And I, I think the press at that time was a real taste maker. I, both the enemy and Sounds, and to a lesser extent, the Melody Maker. Um, but I, I always enjoyed reading. Uh, there was a, a weekly set to between Dave McCulloch, Div Mac, as he was referred to in print, and Gary Bushell. Um, And I suppose it's unusual now for for people to mention the name Gary Bushel. Uh, I suppose people uh, hold him up as um, persona non grata for for some of his associations, Uh, I mean, tabloids and so on. But he was a good he was a good writer with with a a different um, you know, a different taste from DIVMAC. Colour was all uh, your Joy Division, uh, Cabaret Voltaire, um, The Fall. Uh, again, uh, The Fall was a big discovery. I bought Live at the Witch Trials, Dragnet. Um, and it was a real, um, it gave you a real sense of belonging, really, being into The Fall in those days, <laughs> because you used to read the letters of letters page of sounds. And it was astonishing to see that people weekly made the effort to write in and say how much they hated them which just made them quite appeal to me
0: yes absolutely i'm still amazed your mum bought you the copy of sounds at the age of 13 or 14 while well, well, most people would have just got Lucas Aid and sat you in front of the telly she said no here's a copy of sounds here's it was great. yeah <laughs> yes the importance of that yes and years later chris the great chris roberts writes for sounds as well doesn't he so um we've just bought a book out on the velvet um, underground. So there you go. It nice. all, all makes sense. So, you- well, also in
1: sounds, I mean, Velvet Underground, the big name for the Velvet Underground and Arthur Lee's love in those days was Sandy Robertson, who, who wrote again a fantastic, I believe I might even still have it somewhere, um, fantastic two page. Um, uh, uh, and even saying that, I'm reminding I'm reminded of Printhead from Dragnet, well he says, we got a two page page, it's what we needed. But uh, too Late for Arthur Lee's Love. It was about uh, 12 years on. But he wrote a fantastic piece on Arthur Lee's... Are you familiar with Arthur Lee's Love? Yes. Um, De Capo and Forever Changes and, and the first album. Um, uh, for Sale is a great album too. Uh, and I was, again, so taken with the the article. It's another one of those things we thought, we have to buy this. And, it, and it, that turned into... Uh, an influence as well Um, yeah was
0: it that uh, harris is not a home i think that was one of my
1: that's on forever changes yeah christ
0: that's the album isn't it for me anyway that's amazing And the
1: first side of de capo i think is because the second track is hasn't perhaps aged quite so well it's a it's one of those full-length side two tracks revelation but side one of de capo is magnificent as well
0: yeah well uh, yes absolutely so then so then, after after your sort of chat, uh, your recording session, I can't remember how we got back to seventy um, eight actually. But you did your recording. I'll oh,
1: be st- talking about the press having a different <laughs> evolution from you. Yes, you know, oh, you, that's... <laughs> I think mean, you, your 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 voyage of discovery is is I can tell uh, much aligned to the Smiths, and and as evidenced by the sometimes recourse to frankly, Mr Shankly. <laughs> uh, and so on. I've heard okay,
0: for sure. I- uh, yes, this is true, actually. Yeah. Quote and dear old Morrissey, which, you know, also like Gary Bushel, tricky. But, yes. So so did you, yes, did you start to discover that other world of indie pop from sort of 83 that started, you know, when Alan relocated from Glasgow down to London, the living room creation records and that world that started to well, appear? It's
1: a one. When you say, did you discover India. I heard um, that you're probably aware there's uh, Nigel Tassel has a new book out about C-86. And um, I heard him in conversation somewhere recently, um, talking about this, because I remember with Joy Division and uh, Cabaret Voltaire, and Orange Juice and Postcard Records, it was always the independent or the alternative chart, as it was printed in Sounds in 1980 onwards. And the first time I heard of the first time I heard it abbreviated, shortened to indie, was in a description of me and other people who were playing. And when I, I have, I still remember when I first heard it. Um, I thought it when I heard indie, again, just through complete lack of, you know, complete lack of awareness or familiarity. I, um, to me, it sounded like um, Indian music, Asian music. Um, So um, I, I thought indie. Uh, What's that? And and it was it was describing me, and I thought, oh, they they think my music is. (laughs) Uh, So, uh, and then I found it was an abbreviation of independent and I should have worked out, I suppose I was, uh, what um, may have um, prevented me realizing that immediately was that penultimate I, because there's no I in independent at that stage, so I just thought I was thinking of India rather than independence.
0: Right. Um, yes. You, your levels sort of, of uh, analysis. Or well, cultural Victoria. appropriation, really, wasn't it? So, it was Something. So did. So as as we were trucking through the the eighties, what was what was your journey like as you started to hear these other, you know, the, the 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 both your age, but then the kind of the gigs, the importance of kind of hearing these kind of iconic records that we have grown to love now. What was that journey before your first band?
1: Well, I mentioned um, the the impact that John Lennon's uh, passing had on me, and um, in a you know, I suppose it was a part conversation at the time. But part, and I I wonder as well. I I, I don't know about the other people who were um, on the C eighty six compilation or or on that scene at the time, if if scene is the right word. Um, but, um, I already, I disdained what was happening to pop music or what was being done in the name of pop music, all of the, you know, Duran Duran, um, uh, Spandau ballet, all of that business in, you know, the glossy smash hits. I already resented smash hits for, um, you know, my, the inky you know, the monochrome printhead music press that I loved from the late 70s into 80, 81. Um, had, I I believe, I understand sales were falling and because uh, people were getting into interested in uh, um smash hits mm. and culture club and duran duran and um photographs and uh, song lyrics being reproduced that you didn't really want to read. Um, But nevertheless, it was selling by the shelf load, it seems. And um, the good writers, you know, Dave McCulloch, uh, Paul Morley, even, who, who um, had his own um, transition onward to becoming a a producer with uh, what was it ZTT and
0: Frank yes propaganda grandeur and um...
1: all of that I i, um, I the thing I'm, I'm tortuously working towards saying is I already wondered if it was a dead art form when I started <laughs> um, I, I, part of me feels that um, the very best Pop and rock music died with John Lennon as, um, as Music Hall died with Marie Lloyd in 1922. Mm-hmm. So again, uh, you know, again, it, it would be seen as a mythological process to say that a whole, um, in, in a Roland Barthes way, a mythological process, to say that these things would die with one um, very productive individual. But I just felt that way. Or at least it felt that, um, with smash hits, and uh, you know this much is true, uh, and all of that going on, and Karma Chameleon, I just thought it's 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 all over. But, you know, let's fight a puritanical good fight and keep going for now. Uh, but then C86, uh, when it was built into something by the press, immediately um, they, uh, as fast as they built it, they broke it down, which. Uh, was an interesting um, press habit by then, you know genres and subgenres were being invented and broken by the week, and I think that that was part of their tactic to counter the um the onslaught of the glossy vacuity that Smash Hits was.
0: Yeah well it was I think it was quite it felt quite tribal at that time all certainly divided you know there was the political side and there was that and with that you know those bands that you mentioned felt like they were right of centre or they just were having a good time so they didn't care and there was also the Trevor Horn production sound that felt quite like and seeing Top of the Pops where everyone's gaily dancing with lots of balloons and big hair it felt very alien to people like me who were feeling slightly anxious and insecure and sort of you know stuck in the bedroom wondering where what the future was going to hold so that's you know so the independent charts always felt a little bit more closer to what I could relate to and the lyrics of some of the bands that I grew to love as well so yeah that tribalness I thought kind of helped create a little bit of tension and at the same time it made life a little bit more easy because you knew which side you were on and um, it was going to be the Atonian chaps and Wham and Spandau Ballet and, and Phil Collins because Phil Collins was everywhere or it was the other way, wasn't it? And um, yes, it felt quite straightforward in a way. So, and the music press at that stage, you know, they they did have a huge circulation. You know, it was like 100,000 copies a week, weren't they, for three papers.
1: I I don't know. It did seem that they began trying to ape smash hits. They suddenly became in color and um, free gifts here and there, um, save tokens, buy a tape. Oh, no. Yes, um, and it, the features as well seemed to be less um, less probing, less um, less. It less, dare I say it, less intellectual. Um, they, yeah, I, I didn't like it as much.
0: I just no, didn't like it as you, much didn't, you didn't. But, but, but for how long did you stay in the, in the Working Men's Club before? I, the... I
1: finished in 1983, and right. uh, got my first full time job with uh, London Transport in personnel um, in. Ealing Common, and then in Act and Works, and I did that until 1986, and then I um, resigned, and uh, just played music.
0: And at that stage, had you been going to endless gigs, were you for I had a habit, um, habit, an appetite for for live music at this stage? You were in the perfect place, and also you probably got a free rail pass.
1: I did. Well, that was the real reason why I took
0: the job at London Transport, (laughs) because I
1: was really working on my own band. And you found that when you advertised or when you answered other people's adverts who were looking to join a band, um, that they were invariably, almost invariably, dotted around London, people who wanted to be in bands then. Or at least you could pick and choose, because people used to include their phone numbers. So you could tell by the code in those days. um, and sometimes their address. you know, I remember I advertised and put my address, um where it, people were very trusting them and, and had you know, were justified in being trusting them. Yes uh, uh, the, the, I still look with a, back with affection on the um the classifieds in the music press in those days. Again, thinking again about the artifacts as we we were talking about earlier on. Uh, I miss those days whether or not. I wanted the same artifact. I loved the commitment where people said Led Zepp, worth your price paid bootleg, you know, and they might end up with something that sounded very muffled, you know, but nevertheless, they just wanted this this um, this record of their of their band. And oh my um,
0: God, bootleg cassettes! I know we were all we all bought them and felt slightly disappointed, didn't we afterwards, realizing. It sure. wasn't from the sound shit, but found sound uh, desk. But, um, but it felt your important.
1: Question, I did not attempt, attend endless gigs. I, um, I was I, I picked things out, and I'd seen some. Let me say, I saw some great performers. I really saw some great performers at the Hayes Working Men's Club um, very early on. So I saw Burt Weedon. It was fantastic. Um, I saw the new vaudeville band, and uh, I don't know if you remember Winchester Cathedral by the new vaudeville band. Give it a spin. It's, it's very good. Um, um, oh, Ross McManus, Alvis Costello's dad, who was a great gentleman. Right. Um, very good. Um, came to sing it in Hayes. So I saw all them, but then stark contrast. I remember going with um, Edward Moran, who, who started the band with We went to see the birthday party at Victoria, the venue, and um, that was fabulous. And I I still look back at it as perhaps one of the, as as a live performance, one of the the best there was. Uh, And went to that, and yeah, I saw the, actually I saw, with your love of the Smiths, I I believe I saw their first London gig in 1983. I think it was the first, Mm. I, I had heard it was. And in fact, Um, At the time, I I didn't know who they were, but they were headlining. I'd gone to see the go-betweens, and um, they had already had two albums out, and they were playing that night songs from what would become their third. But they were, and I thought this is a bit cheeky, um, having this band headline above the band I've come to see, um, (laughs) they they were magnificent, and I I still remember all the gladioli filling the the stage and being thrown around the room can still can still you know catch the aroma if I think about it. You know, um it they were they were fantastic and uh, they would have been let's face it the hard man to follow that night.
0: So yes that would have it would you wouldn't want to go on. That was a bit like the Monterey Pop Festival where Jimi Hendrix and Pete Townsend were wondering who was going to go first. So they had to toss a coin didn't they to see cuz well, even like-
1: better where where hendrix was concerned i love perhaps one of the gigs that i would most like to have attended um i love the monkeys and when they toured um perhaps uh i don't know i don't know what the idea was because they were they were trying to say we are musicians we we do and i love the monkeys and i think their best stuff comes after that whole so called scandal you know i love um Pisces Aquarius and the birds the bees and the monkeys and my two favorite albums of theirs um but early on when they toured the opening act was Jimi Hendrix
0: and I thought that's that's ill-advised <laughs> <laughs> wasn't um Humble Dink actually is that Engelbert Humboldtink wasn't he on that tour as well wasn't he part of the package Not to my knowledge
1: but um that uh, that would have been a wise move to have him second on the bill
0: to, i mean you've got a lot uh, for your buck i think you've uh, got a lot for your buck for that kind of night of entertainment i haven't,
1: I, I, I haven't heard of that but um, as i say i think it could have been um, a wise shock absorber for the for the agent and for, the, for the headline act
0: um, yeah they were all on drugs in those days. They didn't know what they were doing, but then, well, you know, well, they were a bit, weren't they? Um I, mean, I haven't seen the Woodstock film. Well, I remember seeing the original Woodstock, and you just thought, my God, they just didn't know how to organize a festival, did they? They just they were lucky um in but things were always
1: best when pe- when people didn't know how to organize them in a sense, you know, think about punk um when it became. Owned and when it became regulated and organised, in effect, um, it it again, you know, genres are like this. Um, you know, as soon as they become, and perhaps that was the, perhaps that realization why was why the NME, were f- and sounds were fond of killing their genres as, as soon as they'd um, created them, because yes. as soon as they become um, institutionalised, let's say they perhaps lose some of their wild appeal, which which we all enjoy. Anyway.
0: I know. So, so yes, this is true. I mean, if you ever see Top of the Pops doing their punk, it's just awful. You just, you just can't. It's awful. No, it's I just...
1: disagree. I, I still love seeing um, that clip of Hong Kong Garden where they're using their special effects. Um, and I remember, I, I do remember queuing up to um, get my copy of, uh, I think it might have been, juju at the time queuing up to get juju signed by susie and the banshees and um yeah that was uh, what would that have been 81 or 82 i think um and yeah that was she was a, a great presence to behold
0: yeah i think she had an energy but i do remember sort of sitting sitting there watching the Sham 69 doing the Kids for United and just thinking, oh, those old men in the back in the band, they were just they weren't punk. They were just kind of old Brockers. Oh, who just I love
1: had- it. I love it all. It, it, Pop was still alive then. You know, this is before this is this is um, you know, John Lennon is still alive, Pop is still alive. And um, you know, Sham, you mentioned Sham, um, side two of that's life, that great concept with the pub chat up and all of that. It's fantastic um so you know the idea of a concept album doesn't need to be topographic oceans or or selling england by the pound or or, or suppers ready or whatever it is um it can be side two of sham 69's second album and they, they, you they well
0: you must have, you must have been mesmerized by the disney film that uh, peter jackson did the eight hours of the beatles doing let it let it be
1: oh Fabulous. I, I think it adds up to more than eight hours, doesn't it? It's, it's, I think eight
0: hours it's, and 20 minutes. I don't know. Oh, it's,
1: it's fabulous. I, I have to say, I watched the first two on on the um, the days that they were issued, and then I felt, with my Catholic upbringing perhaps, I felt that I was indulging myself too much at once. So I saved um, the last instalment until Christmas um, to... <laughs> <laughs> to uh, when I felt, you know, I thought, these days, what will you get? Well, this is ungracious to think of anyone who ever buys one, a present. But, you know, to get something as, as you say, I mean, really jaw-droppingly uh, interesting and uh, fascinating. You know, it's like, well, uh, sound over the top, it's like finding a again, a, you know, a fresh chapter of the Bible.
0: Yes, absolutely.
1: <laughs> Chapter, is that right?
0: Which 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 ended uh, bizarre which which ended sort of on a high, which was a bit surprising rather than the depressing. Well again, way. that
1: that was really, I think, a, a nice thing to do because let it be the the film that was issued hasn't been shown on television for so long. I think they're going to reissue uh, as usual a digitalized version of it. But um and everyone's so familiar with that. George and Paul into play. Well, what do you want me to play? You know, tell me what do you want me to play and I'll play. And that that has become a, a sort of a symbol of of any interband discord, you know, that that George and Paul scene. So it, it was nice to see other things around it. And there was pure joy. And I think, you know, for people who knew each other so long and had been together so much. There was bound to be, so it was wonderful that they did it. I yes,
0: know. and you could see that Paul loved his musical as well. So he would have known the work of Mary Mary Lloyd, wouldn't he? So um, oh,
1: I am, oh, yes, because his father, I believe, was um, uh, still a variety singer.
0: Yes, I started. think jo- was, wasn't John Major's as well. Oh yeah, well, yeah.
1: I, I, was, I think his might have been trapeze or something. But his father, but yeah, let's not mention him
0: no listen. No. though though currently he, he looks quite amazing but so when when does when do you actually form the band and I'm slightly confused because releases are coming out both as the band then on the cassette and then your solo albums and then Janice Long sessions with the go-betweens it's quite it's very tight little time period I have a here.
1: disjointed discography uh, yes I
0: know it's very disjointed <laughs> which is quite confusing it's just
1: the way things happen there was no plan for it um as I say, I really formed the band, in effect, with Ed Moran um, when about the time we left school and we learned to play instruments together. Um, but then I I was getting progressively and he, as I say, had been a great encouragement. The fact that he was impressed, may I say, enough to, to buy an instrument and um, join me on the songs I was writing really kept me going. Um, but then um he got more involved in work and um sadly he well worked for him that um he he went more in that direction whereas i I just knew I had to keep doing it, wanted to keep doing it. And I, I started, it was Ed in fact who brought in um John on guitar. And then I oh and I had another person I went to school with who played drums early on, Amen. Uh, he stayed, he played on all the gigs up to, I don't know, Christmas '85. Um, but also using adverts became a real um, thing and, and I uh, found, or, or he answered one, um, Phil joined um, on bass. And um, we started playing gigs, first gig was with the television personalities. Well, Dan um,
0: Tracy, the legendary Dan and, Tracy. And
1: Jowhead was in that lineup when we played, and it was at um, the Pinder of Wakefield, as it was then. Uh, it's now called, well, before and after the Water Rats, which everyone knows. I think um, Bob Dylan played his first English show there, and many others. Um, um, and um, You mentioned uh, the creation record. What happened was um, we got dropped. uh, And again, it it was not unknown for bands to make a single or two and get dropped. Um, But the way things were working was that I assembled a band and I I felt very, uh, again, felt very lucky, privileged to have people play uh, on, on the songs with me. But again, when you recruit People recruit, if that's the word. When you um, find people that yes. way, um, it's, I suppose, in a way, some element of a more of, a, I don't know if it's more, but yeah, in some ways, a, a business vocational relationship, or or certainly a business vocational project on their part, particularly when, as was the case, they were um, a, a few years older than I was, and. Um, more of a pragmatic approach to being you know being in a few bands at the same time i you know i um and so that didn't weather uncertain times uh you know so I was still looking for a full time lineup and um i found Luke Haynes um through an ad and he was um everything i i had hoped to find he was um a great musician and we got we got on together like a house on fire um And the record that I did with Creation would have been uh, a servants' record, but still didn't have um, um, a full time committed band. I wanted a band that would do the servants and the servants Mm -hmm. only, whereas, you know, I'd been, I'd had people who were all in other bands at the same time, and I'd had to cancel a few things here and there because people weren't available. Um, there's something in with you being a fan. You'll remember um, Morrissey's autobiography where he says, uh, I think it's where Johnny Marr later on goes to play with the talking heads. And he uses, I think, a great line where he says, well, this mock torture thing that is, was much his, uh, his. you know, he, he's so good at doing. Um, he said, Mon- monogamous I, polygamous he, and, you know, I understood that feeling where I, I was working towards doing something that was self-contained and uh, um, had its own, you know, it was the band and no one else. Whereas, again, I, I, I am always pleased and um, grateful to have people play on the songs. But certainly at that time, I still had an idea of making something that, well, in my young way, but as I was then, that I hoped would have the impregnability, as I saw it, of the Beatles or the Velvet Underground, you know? Yes. So, um So on the creation record, um, two of the Triffids played, and played magnificently, as as you would expect, Martin P. Casey, LZ MacDonald on bass and drums. Um, and because... I, you know, I had no wish for it to be a solo record, but I couldn't really call it the Servants, unless uh, I suppose I could have if I'd continued that idea of the monkeys, where everything was the Servants, but it had these fabulous people playing on it instead. Um, but perhaps um, still a maybe the Catholic sense where I thought I need to be straighter, need to come clean, need to be honest, and it was, yeah, it was a David Westlake record. And um yeah, I wish I'd used the time to record more songs because it was that odd um format that was around then, the mini album. The, and I'm sure you bought one or two.
0: Yes, um, absolutely. And sometimes that's all you that's all you wanted, because frankly, the filler, <laughs> the filler was just too much. How did you find yourself on creation records at this stage? Did was it Alan or Joe that or Ed?
1: Well, it was when I was there. It was after Joe and before Ed. The people who were in the office in Clerkenwell Road when I was there were him and um, Dick Green and uh, Yvonne Alan's wife. Then is I believe his first wife. Um, so they were the people in the office at the time. Um, the way the way that happened was. Um, it was a very, it was a strange, confused scene, I suppose you'd say, or situation. Um, the person who who put out the first two servant's records uh, worked at the time in the office in creation. And from what I understand, there was some, um, I think they had a, I think he and, uh, Mr McGee had a had a falling out. Um, and I think it was time they parted, and uh, I think perhaps the fact that the servants got dropped i I don't know it may or may not be the case. Perhaps they just um didn't like the songs anymore, but it may have been collateral damage or something from that. but um, and even the fact that I was invited to make a record, I don't know again if it was if there was some political dimension to that. But I I was, um, I felt left out uh, in the lurch of it. I didn't know, you know, still being 21, I, I didn't know if I would get to make another record. Um, it was the first time I'd been dropped and um, it was uh, quite a lonely
0: feeling. Ah. Oh. Yes, well, no, it would. I mean, it's, it's like all one's kind of, one doesn't have a huge amount of building, though. <laughs> So everything,
1: everything happened for the best, I think now. Yes.
0: So with oh. the servants, you recorded She's Hiding and The Sun. She's always hiding. She's always she is always hiding. The The Sun, a small star. Now these are on head records. So was this these were two came out, and then your solo album came out with creation mm. the following year, but you'd been on the C 86 cassette.
1: Yes yes um again well and the namesake of this uh, this this great show um c86 we were invited um to be on this compilation and um it, it might, enough has been written i'm sure you've spoken perhaps you've spoken to everyone else or near enough everyone else on the compilation there was no one more ambivalent about being about that compilation than the people who were on it at the time and um genuinely of course um, you will no doubt have heard before um but i much i assume like everyone else did did not imagine it would be remembered in 1987 let alone 2022 yes <laughs> and, and now now you know I, it was a stroke of luck to be on it and um I, and having studied other genres and subgenres and been in and out of all those uh byways and alleyways of how genres um emerge and die um i can see some reasons of, of what of or, so, or at least some arguments as to why things happened as they did but at the time um it just seemed like um Something that would be buried quickly. I think you had to save tokens from the the uh, from the NME, and also send off something like two pounds or two pounds forty nine, something like. that. Yeah, you got a postal order from
0: the uh, post office, didn't you? And then probably. I really save...
1: thought. I really thought. Who is who on earth is going to do that?
0: So was it Neil I... Taylor? Who was one of the three people who did that compilation? Was he the one who approached you to be on the on the on the cassette?
1: Uh, it was either him or Adrian Thrills, I think. Right, can't, can't really remember. So, how
0: did the invite come up?
1: I can't quite remember. I can't quite remember. But um, uh, how did it come up? God, it's so long ago.
0: Um, and you said, yeah. and you said, this is the track that you can have, because most oh, of the back.
1: I, I, I gave what, to be honest, I gave. And i mentioned this, I think, previously. I, I gave what I felt really was the worst track. <laughs> in, you know, in retrospect, I, I, it would have been better. You know, I gave a track at least, the, or, or the least good, rather than worst. Let me say least good. The one I was with which I was least pleased myself, um, because. I, I was I was wary of. By then, I mentioned that the press had done had been in this week-in, week-out exercise of making genres and and making them into laughing stocks, you know, objects of humiliation and ridicule. So one was on one's guard, and um, you know, even at that tender age, you know, suspicious sceptical about the, you know, it, because it, it, again, looking back, you could feel complimented that something as, well, again, it was, to me at least, you mentioned the circulation was better than I knew about, but to me, the enemy was um, in its death throes. <laughs> 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 um, I, 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 missed the, I missed the black and white days, but even then, perhaps I was a grumpy old man. Well, I, I, I was just, um, uh, you know, I, I was, I, I just felt it wasn't as good. It wasn't as artistic. It wasn't as intellectual. It wasn't as, um, as, interesting or 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 compelling as it had been to me. And it seemed an exercise in 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 staying afloat for them. Yeah, I, I, still, I still feel that's what it was. And so, and I dealt with it in that spirit. And I think they were as surprised as anyone when they found that suddenly it took off and, and rough trade reissued it as an LP, which again seemed um, uh, because as as you know, rough trade by then had changed from from the fall and cabaret Voltaire days. It was it had been doing the Smiths for um a few years. yes, as, and suddenly, you know, if you saw Jeff Travis, he seemed to be wearing, or at least to me, seemed to be wearing a curiosity killed the cap cap, you know, Ben, whatever his name was. Oh, that's ben right. Ben yes. I that
0: phase ben. in the eighties. We loved that. Uh, we? suddenly
1: he looked like, uh, you know, Mr. Smash hits to me, um, but still rough trade still had some cachet, so I thought, oh,
0: Well, we we, we certainly did learn a lot about Rough Trade with Morrissey's book, didn't we? About his love of Robert Wyatt and such kind of like, he couldn't stop poking Jeff and the whole ethos of Rough Trade, which did make me laugh all the way through. But uh, yes, a lot of references to Robert Wyatt and the socialist workers party and all that kind of groovy stuff i know i think it was the moment where where morrissey walks in and finds i think johnny talking with brian ferry and stephen street and he felt like all oh, right they're going to stab me aren't they you know he'd still probably watched i claudius in the 70s and thought this is it they're conspiring fabulous
1: i like claudius yeah
0: yeah it was good. So then, I mean, so what was your relationship on the one album with creation? You thought this is it. This is you had your we, super band. Um, the,
1: the servants um, didn't belong, didn't work on creation. Um, it just, yeah, it just didn't work. And um, and also at the time um, we'd had an offer to m- make an album with Glass Records, uh, had the offer at the time, which again eventually did not materialize, adding again to the the um, you know the long and winding road of the discography um, that you know money ran out with the distributor for that, so that didn't work out, turned into a single it's my turn um, but yeah creation i i really i must admit, I, I, I didn't have much to do with them. Um, I only knew one other person on the label. I only met one other person on the label. Um, very nice uh, man, Pete, Pete Astor, who no doubt you know, and I still see him from time to time. He's a lovely man. Um, but yeah, I, I, yeah, Creation was um, not where I was going.
0: Yeah. Yes. Or where I
1: wanted to go at least.
0: So then you focus the servants with more of a steady lineup for the the first your your first album which was going to be on well we had a
1: strange we had because looking as I was then as I mentioned still for um a, a long you know a full committed lineup um we had a strange phone call um, from someone who said they were in a well-known band and we were, you know I was quite used to hearing Oh, you know, I'm quite well-known. You think, really? Really? Are you? Um, And you you think, I've never heard of you. But we did get a call from (laughs) someone who who said as much. uh, And I said, oh, really? And uh, he was in in quite a well-known band. Uh, And it was Hugh Whitaker of the House Martins.
0: The House Martins. And
1: he... uh, My first response was, oh... Uh, yes, I have. <laughs> well, I thought to myself, speaking of speech bubble, I have heard of this one. Happy and, hour. Uh, we loved it. Well, uh, m- me, not so much. Well, not at all. Uh, my first response was, I don't think we'd get on. Um, uh, I-, I didn't like what they did. Um, so I-, I-, I was ready to hang up. Um, but he said, no, hold on, because also those days I mentioned that the address was in the Well, <laughs> Yeah, you know, that could sound very um you know very confident to take that attitude but 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 i was by this time <laughs> but um i i sent him a tape i think before, before i knew who he was uh, I used yeah just used to send out tapes and um he he liked the music he liked the songs and i thought how strange um that this person who's had a number one record and 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 had, you know, is, is quite well known, it, it has left this band and uh, wants, and I, well, again, a compliment, but but again, it's because he um, he wanted to do something musically. And I still think the single he made with The Servants, It's My Turn, um, from what I have heard, I still think it it really shows his drumming better than anywhere else that I have heard. I think his drumming on that is superb still um and i only wish uh well it's not not my only wish (laughs) it's a a thought terminating cliche you know this my only wish uh too many to mention um some um but he um you know we were going to make an album when we made that single and he was he was a great drummer he had great power he was he was um he was very strong. Well, that sounds a strange uh, thing to say, but I remember when we were playing gigs, uh, I don't know if you're familiar with the weight of guitar amplifiers, a Fender twin is very heavy. And, mm-hmm. uh, when you're loading up at the end of a gig, uh, I and somebody else would normally take, you know, one end or, you know, if it was, was of the amp and they the other. Uh, and um, or if it was a short trip, you would, with one great lunge, do it yourself. But he could manage two amps. And so, you know, where do you want these lads? Back of the van. I'll say, yes, please. Um, so again, he he left all of that, you know, smash hits, pop stardom. I think his thing, and you mentioned the sound of the production from the 80s, I think that was his um, disillusion, that, you know, when you recorded, in studios then, you would listen to things on three types of speaker, very big ones that you, on which you would never hear it on the like anywhere else unless you heard it, your record at a gig. Um, The home studio, or the home hi-fi ones, which were Yamaha's generally, or the shoddy little transistor radio type speakers. And he told us at least that by the time he left, um, because they were looking at more and more hits. They seemed very often to him, from what I understood, to be mixing only by listening to the music on these shoddy little transistor radio speakers. And he felt disillusioned somewhat with where that was going. And I, I think hearing you know, his, his playing on, it's my turn, the, the, the drumming is so good. I, I almost feel that there was some kind of catharsis some kind of uh, release going on for him because the drums are really great
0: yes and had you at this stage lost phil had phil sort of left the the lineup the bait you know phil king he
1: he had gone well he he was in any number of bands he was in a band with his girlfriend um called after an incredible string band album uh the hangman's beautiful daughter or daughters um so yeah, he he had gone, um, but again, you know, we just didn't have friendship really to hold together. I, I, was, I didn't have a way of making records at the time, so, you know, people moved on, quite understandably looking back, but again, quite lonely. Of the time.
0: yes it's it's a, so as, as the 80s trucked through and we sort of got into the world not necessarily we but you know the things had changed again hadn't they the musical landscape and suddenly you know the ecstasy world dance music you know the orb started to appear the guy it. called gerald ecstasy you know and that world that was the happy mondays and stone roses and Primal Scream were making their big kind of dance numbers. And then we had the Seattle grunge scene. I, I
1: preferred so, them when they were, you know, the birds.
0: Yes, this is true. But yeah. how was it for you, though, kind of thinking where, where were you sort of heading and, and what's your next move with the, with the band and your sound?
1: Well, um, I from the scene you've just mentioned all of that um, ecstasy, bell-bottomed, you know, flared nonsense that was going on, all of that, you know, rave and and business. I I, I wanted, I had no truck with it. I I thought it was um, lazy, low grade. And I, 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 you know, again, uh, disliked it. And, um, you know, my my response to it was to um, do the opposite and I started Writing songs for an album called Disinterest, which was uh, about as far away as as I could get, or or at the time from um, from all of that, um, you know, druggy or or faux druggy kind of blissed out rubbish, you know, that I I wanted nothing to do with it. It was um, it was poor. It was, you know, and the record, you know, records of appalling badness, you know, I I just wanted nothing to do with any of that. And I always, I suppose, again, I I was, um, it was always me to, you know, walk in the opposite direction from any bandwagon or or, um, trend or or fad. I was always surprised to see other people embrace it, but perhaps, you know, they had, they had some aspiration that they just wanted to be part of something, so long as it was on trend. And perhaps I, by the opposite inclination, perhaps I had a I had a, a feeling I wanted to be off trend, and uh, I think okay. I made it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> just briefly, though, you had a session with journalist Janice, Janice Long, didn't you? With the go betweens. Which again, you do. You do manage to sort of um, have an amazing ability to to um, have great backing bands. I mean, both the Trivids and the Go Betweens. Well, I don't know if
1: I call them a, a backing band. Well, I wouldn't. Uh, I, I became friends uh, of uh, Grant and Robert when touring with them, and um, uh, got on really well. Stayed stayed good friends with Grant right up to 2006, in fact.
0: Did you have um, Amanda yeah. and um, Lindy playing on the...
1: Amanda played on the Second Servant single. She she also played on that uh, Janice Long session. The way the session came about was um, uh, and again, it was after I'd just been dropped and uh, by the record label and um, uh, Janice Long got in touch. Uh, she mm-hmm. liked uh The Son of Small Star and um, she liked uh what she had um heard of me as well. Um, and she got in touch and offered a session and um she you know she was a lovely person. She was uh she used to do that as you know the After Kid Jensen left, she took on that mid evening slot before Peel and she did it really well. Um, She was such a a warm, um, enthusiastic person. Um, She was uh, really uh, a sweet person. And uh, she offered me this session and I didn't say anything straight away, but I spoke, I was out for a drink. Uh, well, again, apart from the fact that we were friends, this sounds a bit clang, name drop. But no, I, I was out for a drink with Robert of the Go Between's Robert Forster, and I'd mentioned that I'd been offered it, and um, and uh, I said he he knew that I didn't have a band, and I, I said I was about I, I said I was about to decline. You know, I was about to say no, thanks very much, but. Not in a position to do it at the moment. And you know, I didn't I didn't want to do a free will and Bob Dylan kind of thing. Mm. I didn't want to go on and well, you, you wince at that. It's a great album, but I, you know, I didn't want to go on and uh, you know, pick pick guitar. Uh, I thought it wasn't the season for it, um, or something. Um but he said no, and he he was enthusiastic about it. It's very kind. And it was he who rallied support with um with The others with uh Robert Vickers and uh, Amanda Brown.
0: Who was on drums?
1: Um, who was on it was um John who had been at the time he was he, he had been in a band called The Trees and when Eamon, um, Eamon had some who was on drums in The Servants, he had some let's say difficulties with, perhaps it's a thing with, I don't know, it just occurs to me, there's a thing with drummers in spinal tap, as as you probably know, with spontaneous uh, combustion. But um, my first, the first drummer, Eamon, had some difficulty with the police, um, which uh, meant that he was, he had, he was, let's say, precluded from, um, assisting in the evenings uh with re- rehearsals and he, he was put on a curfew um and um so with rehearsals and uh, gigs that became untenable very sadly and um and later as possibly you know Hugh had some uh, had some personal problems uh, with 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 uh, Things in that direction as well. Um, um, but he, yeah, he was always a great drummer. But yeah, uh, on the Servants uh, singles, it was the drummer from the trees, John Wills, who had who played on those singles and um, he played on that session as well.
0: Right. Yes. Again, God. it's,
1: yeah, you know, this would, um, I think this would give, you know, the great Pete Frame a migraine.
0: Yes, absolutely, because (laughs) because having the Triffids and the go-betweens, I mean, at that time, I don't, you know, having done quite a few interviews from this kind of period and scene, were you at all sort of circulating or orbiting the, the famous ambulance station that seemed to have members of the incredible, the hangman's beautiful daughters and... I guess Phil might have been part of that, but I know that that but, particular that,
1: the ambulance station. Season.
0: Yeah, it was a it was a squat venue, and a lot of people. Oh no,
1: wa- I've, I've, I've never heard of it. It's the first
0: I've heard of it. Right, because I sort of I think with a lot of those Australian bands, they came over to the UK to sort of seek their fame and fortune, and I think a lot of people were squatting in the London scene at that stage. But
1: well, no, um, well at least. The only Australian band I knew was the Go Betweens. I didn't. I didn't actually know the Triffids
0: uh,
1: to speak of. Um, they played on the record. Uh, well, two of them, and they were they were lovely and, and superb musicians. But I, I didn't know them in the way that I knew um, Grant and Robert. Yes. Um, but they well, well, it's 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 no uh, disclosure now to say that Grant lived in. Acme on a row called Retreat Place. Um, He, in fact, I've not heard it well mentioned anywhere, but it's always interesting. And I remember seeing him. Uh, I think I was there for his might have been there on a long table for his thirtieth birthday. Well, again, I feel another um, coming on. But Charlie Higson, he shared a place with Charlie Higson of, you know, later famous on The Fast Show, but he was in a, a good band called The Higson's early on. From the UEA. You may know them, yeah. I don't want yeah. to live with monkeys and all that. Um, and Robert lived in, at that time, Highbury um, with Lindy. They were in a, a, a great, what looked like uh, it, Victorian Gothic, three-story property. Um, um, and I think Lindy lived on the top floor and Robert lived on the middle floor. And um yeah, I used to spend some time around there. And um yeah, they were they were great company and um good people to be with, yeah. Yes, absolutely. That's, that's the definition of good company, isn't it? Yeah, it's reaching for something else, yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So then the servants, you are this is your one and only album, isn't it? This, this that comes out. No. Disin-
1: <laughs> again, fooled you.
0: You did disinterest.
1: Uh, disinterest. Well, it was the only album at the time. Um, again, with with a a really strange quirk of um, of time, I suppose. We recorded a second album in in 1991, but it. Didn't get released until 2012. (laughs) Right. And and, and that is my favourite Servants record. Um, That is Small Time. Um, I might have it here. It's this. No good to people on the radio. Oh, yes.
0: It's Cherry Reds. um, Yeah.
1: That's the second Servants album. It's it's the best Servants record. Um, It's, um, yeah, it's... I have to admit, it's the only one on occasion that I might still um,
0: listen to. So you recorded that the following year? 91, yeah. Blimey, you were on a roll. Did you have the same, did you have a steady lineup at this stage?
1: That was recorded just as a duo. It's me and Luke Haynes.
0: Right, and that's and, it. And
1: um, at the time, it was, It's it's a peculiar story. It, the the recordings that came out as the album admittedly um were not the album they were the demos for the album um but the demos was and again it was unfinished business for more than 20 for more than 20 years only luke and i had heard the record and uh i loved it so much and luke uh, had some fondness as well for it, I know. And he. it was a really peculiar um, um, project putting it together because it was recorded on two four tracks. Um, my, uh, I put my songs down on my four track and then take it round to Luke's. And uh, what happened was um, the tracks as they were released in 2012 uh, had never been you know, all the parts had never been assembled properly before, so it was a huge project of, uh, you know, it felt like a tapestry, marrying, you know, because cassettes as well, it was recorded on two cassette tapes, and, you know, at minutely varying speeds, and cassette, as ever, or as anyone who records knows, is uh, is not as, uh, it, well, digital is just rigid, it's just there, millisecond by millisecond whereas um, tape fluctuates even on you know, even on the very best um, tape recordings in you know the old studios tape can fluctuate um, in, a, in a minuscule way which digital doesn't do but I love um, the sound on small time it still has that warmth of analog because it because it is and um, I I was very lucky to you know a longtime friend um Des who plays on the new album My Beautiful England um he um put that together. He he's a, a studio whiz, you know, wizard. Um, and um he helped put that together
0: for yes. Me. So how did you get Cherry Red Records involved with that one?
1: Well, um, I we I should add that you know already missing out Another another of my records, play Dusty for me, yes, um, which came out in two thousand and one. So backtracking from two thousand and twelve, because again, because and the reason I mention that is that Sherry um, Red, by that time and when I had stopped after recording the what were and the demos and what became the album Small Time, I. Um, Stopped even approach, uh, approaching record companies or, you know, I'd play the occasional gig, but essentially I did things only when people invited me to do them because I, it had become for me um, a joyless exercise, you know, trying to, you know, flog my wares. Yes. You know? uh, and I, as well as then, I, for me, you know, the success of something didn't depend on its reception. It was how I felt about it myself. So I thought, why am I doing this? And I went off and did more uh, worthwhile things or other worthwhile things. Um, and um, carried on playing music. Carried on writing. Always, what I enjoyed most was the writing and, and assembling songs and, and the ideas. The you know, the the, the The spark behind all these things was always the part I enjoyed most. Um, So I carried on in that connection. But another tortuous route to saying the way when you mentioned how did Cherry Red come into things, for some years I'd given up the idea of ever approaching ever approaching a record label again. So I I pressed up Play Dusty for me myself. a place called 10th Planet in just off Oxford Street in London. I think they might still be there. Um, so that was a self-pressed thing. And the, the label name was Marlophone, which was uh, a personal thing because I enjoyed Gustav Mahler. Uh, and also, I lived around the corner. I grew up around the corner from EMI and Parlophone, the old Beatles imprint. Mm. So, you know it was a juxtaposition of the two um so i was happily going along just you know pressing up my own things and uh, or what that album played dusty for me again which which i uh, was i was very pleased with that um but then in 2000 and something five or six um someone from cherry red contacted me and um And they, yeah, they really, Cherry Red really restored my uh, faith because I'd had some, and I won't, I'll I'll be one of the many, I'm sure, that you've spoken to. I was about to say I won't be the only one, I shan't be the only one. But I'm sure I'm one of the many who had some disenchanting experiences with record labels. And, um, you know, that can happen. and. I, I I thought, uh, for me, it was, as I say, disenchanting. Mm. So so I've pressed up my own thing. And again, I, I've largely gone since with the idea of doing things um, when I'm invited or approached, or, or even uh, thank you very much for staying the pace, but I, I have a habit of turning things down sometimes. Uh not out of um anything other than um I just think oh it's you know it's not for me. I think I might have said something like that if you, you know, when we first corresponded, uh when you kindly um invited me to join this um excellent show.
0: This show yes. So so Cherry Red, was that so you'd got that play dusty for me yeah oh you done you've done that in sort of it's confusing
1: isn't it it's hard it's hard to um
0: that play. was too th- that was rubik's 2000 like so, a, my, yeah. this
1: is a rubik's cube career this yeah. is
0: true so play yeah. dusty with me you just kind of held that and you for
1: Not if, if you need a mnemonic it's um of course it, it's a play on play misty for me quince eastwood so.
0: yes so yes Not and, dusty. and
1: and Dusty Springfield, um, who, of whom I was uh, an admirer, um, had sadly um, passed away not long before that. Yeah.
0: So that came out two thousand two with your own sort of on your own back with your own label, Marlafoe. Yes, Marlophone, to do with your love of Marla. And then, so was that? Did you enjoy that process? Did that was that generally a good experience?
1: Well. Um... In what respect? I, I didn't enjoy. Well, I, I did did not not enjoy going to Tenth Planet, but it's a fair it's a fairly well it's a very prosaic experience. Drop off your thing, get it pressed, pick it up. I, I quite liked getting them all in a big box, uh, I suppose. But um, yeah, I, I was glad that I had done it. Uh, yes. I suppose, if anything, I was pleased that I had not. Um, as I saw it then, subjected myself to the uh, the experience of um, of touting my wares around to people who who you know by and large probably didn't want them.
0: So 10 years later Cherry Red Records approached you for the record you did with The Servants which never came out in 91 which was the demos which I remember with Luke so how did that relate you know how did they sort of knock on your door or, or... Well
1: they'd done a, comp- a, a compilation before and um, and then that had gone okay you know not it, it hadn't set the world alight but It was never, you know, I don't want to set the world on (laughs) fire. You know, it was never my, um, you know, really never my aim. Um, But and and I was always um, grateful to people who didn't expect, or you know, I think one of the things that, you know, creation was a good label, but they always had that ambition to. shift units you know and uh, that that was not in my set of criteria but again that was again think about it it's easy for me to say i'm not the one i i, I was never good at the business side business end of things and um i you know uh, fair play to them one might say i i my attitude wasn't Good if you were aiming to, um, you know. I thought breaking even was a, a good result, you know. Mm. <laughs> Whereas there were people who wanted to, you know, construct an empire, perhaps, you know,
0: keep going to keep going. But then John Henderson approaches oh, you.
1: Yes. Well, I, I did approach John. Um, because I had read an interview with him and he was um what I, I suppose what I had always uh well again, what I'd always hoped to find in in somebody who runs a record label. Um, uh and um and indeed he it it worked out well. Yes he's uh, he's you know, he's. Uh, I think he he's got a vision, uh, and at the same time, he he has patience, and he 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 reminds me a little bit. You know, I don't know if you read in your. I think looking back to the old enemy encyclopedia of rock that I presented as as you know exhibit one earlier. Um, no use to radio listeners, um, but. He reminds me of the great thing that you know. If you ever read about Warner Brothers in 1972, where they had John Cale and Van Dyke Parks as A and R, and I thought, you know, what's happened? You know, why why can't we have those days? You know, um, instead of well, again, it's it's very different now from the way things were in the 80s. I mean, it's completely different, of course.
0: Yeah, but Tiny Global Productions has yes. got this amazing ethos and roster. So when did when well, did you? I, I was
1: all, I, I was a fan again while I was still at school of uh, the Blue Orchids, you know, because the greatest Martin. hit came out. Yeah, um, and and the fall I mentioned, you know, I was a big fan. But Tiny Global has. Um, the blue orchids, the nightingales, um, band of holy joy. Um,
0: We've got everyone, and, actually,
1: haven't we? Have uh, well, also um, uh, Stuart Moxley, David Lance Callahan from the Wolfhounds. So, and again, in the interview that uh, John Henderson did that I that I saw, he mentioned uh, Rough Trade and and also C eighty six, and I thought, well, again. Uh, by this time I thought well I've already mentioned I felt it was a stroke of luck to have uh, been a part of that because you know I, I'm, I'm aware that um, for many people you know if, if people even know know my name or know of me it tends to be either through c86 or Luke Haynes so um, you know I, I'm glad and and uh, grateful um to for that to be the case, and uh, that, that he mentioned C86, I thought I must get in touch because I had been working on uh, a new record. Um, I also had this thing when I, when I was um in my well when I was a a, a boy I, I think I saw a Cliff Richard interview. I've already mentioned Burt Weed and I, I'm digging out all the names for the teenagers now <laughs> Cliff Richard. I remember speaking about, um, and, and again, the, Cliff Richard is seen as, you know, arch, unfashionable. He's made some good pop records. Let's um, that's, that's not disguise the fact. Yes. Uh, and, um, and he's very, I mean, he's had difficulties, again, in more recent years, un, unjust difficulties in more recent years, um, as, as things turn out. Um, but i remember always remembered seeing an interview on tv with him from when i was small um saying that he had a had had a number one record in five successive decades and i thought what an incredible achievement you know i thought I, you know one does the count on the fingers the 50s the 60s the 70s you know and so on so it wasn't that i was such a small child so, so in the 90s let's say Maybe it was four decades. I, I, I don't know, but he was—he he had recognized. So I'm, I'm not sure if he had a number one in the '90s, but he was recounting his own number one records. And I, I of course, um, in you know, when one is looking for humility in a pop star, this this perhaps um, did not endear him to as many people as it might have done. But I was still—I thought, well, well done, Cliff. That's that's a, that's that's a great <laughs> achievement. Um, and while I've never had a number one record, I thought at least, um, you know, I can say that I've put out a new record in five successive decades. Yeah, now, yeah, so um, so again, I, I liked that as well. I, I like, uh, I suppose, small arithmetical uh, things like that as well. So um, yeah, I'm pleased enough. That, yeah. Yes. I, I so, the, so the so the albums so I try all of that Rubik's Cube career and how difficult it is to piece together, and um, I'm not sure if Beat Frame is still going or not. But I, I think you know I I would, you know I would cause a nervous breakdown, um, um, uh, you know at least in in my own, you know I, you know I wake up and I think oh yeah I've I've <laughs> at least put out some... Despite the fact that I come and go, and perhaps you know a decade here and a, you know another decade there, um, I've but, do feel, but do and, you feel? But do
0: you feel with and, this and, new album, "My Beautiful England," and, and being yes. on a record label, do you feel? A, hey, there's uh, potential it, for dates, live dates, but also thinking actually. Well,
1: let me say first, it's it's easily the best thing I've done. Uh, it's it, it genuinely is. It, the um, the you know I feel the songs as i say i always kept writing and i think they're the best songs i've written and uh, the band is superb um luke haynes is there uh, superb as ever and it's the first thing i've recorded with new thing i've recorded with luke since um small time in 91 so that's you know a long time that's 30 years so um, was he was uh, he surprised when five, you got
0: in touch you know, with him and said look
1: oh no um we've been Friends, you know, we, I didn't get in. Well, we're always in touch. Yeah. Yes,
0: yeah. but you hadn't recorded anything for two decades. I just wondered if he was a bit like, oh, okay, let's let's make a record. No, this he,
1: is- I mean, very kindly he offered. Um, uh, I, I said that I was writing new songs. And I, one I mentioned that he was very keen on at the time. I said I'd written a song called Hayes Middlesex because he used to come to Hayes Middlesex um, during the servants um, when I lived there uh, to um, rehearse. And um, we used to drink in a pub called The Tumbler, um, which is is gone now. Um, I, we saw, again, a couple of good acts. There was, there was Boring Bob, who was um, one of the piranhas, who you might remember had a hit with Tom Hark. But they used to do pub gigs as a duo. And uh, we saw them there, and they by then they were quite, I suppose you might say jovially embittered, you know former hitmakers, um and we were still you know very young um, and you know very much you, you look back and you remember speaking to people and you think, yeah, I know where that's coming from, same as um. Uh, meeting you know when when during the servants john peel session it was produced by dale griffin he, of Mot the hoople he used yes. to, he used to record a lot of sessions and um, you know meeting him he you know he had he had a certain
0: um, uh, did he hate you he had
1: a certain disappointment to him in the well he was he was as nice as can be in the morning uh, but then I always, uh, I think the way I put it, you know, he was very cordial in the morning, but at lunchtime he wasn't on the cordials. And <laughs> after a liquid lunch, he came back, and I think the full, um, the full um, dreadnought onslaught of the uh, of his experiences in in rock music, uh, he visited on, you know, the post lunch peel sessions. Certainly in in my case, and. and Perhaps others, but it was it was nothing but an honour, uh, of course, to be um, produced by him, and 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 in fact, you know, I'm fond of the memory of that now as well.
0: You know. Yes, absolutely. Back in I think it was '86. So, the, but the, with the new album, which is coming out this month, I do believe 2022. When did you? Well, it's been it's been moved forward. It, it's October, but um,
1: um, um, for people who are pre-ordering, I think it. I think it will be um well I know it will be sent out earlier but the I
0: think the official release date is October the 14th now right Four, 14 tracks including mari mm. lloyd now when did you first come across the very famous mari lloyd from musical days well
1: when I my my father is from, uh, well, he was born in Marlborough and moved out to Hayes in 19, my late father moved out to Hayes in 1941. But I was raised, you know, I, I was, my, I
0: still have, you know, rose, well, not rose, but you know, uh,
1: blurry memories of being sung to sleep when I was very small. Um, and I remember always remember being sung to sleep by the song, uh, because because of course I spoke about it in later years with my parents, you know, when they were here. Um, but the song Lily of Laguna was an old music hall song, not not one of Maury Lloyd's. But my I think my my father's London past was, you know, it brought with it a certain memory of music hall songs and you know, the songs of Leslie Stewart and um uh, so you know, records by Gus Elan, um and uh, Sam Mayo, and so on. But um, I, I love all of that, uh, and I you know I listen to that. If I reach for a record, I'm, I'm very likely to reach for one of those. And um, yeah, there's just something to me very uh, cherishable about music hall. It was the first working class entertainment and much of modern entertainment derives from that before eternal i see you thinking oh my goodness is about to lurch into the history of the full history of music all <laughs> and
0: not, no no, because, and no i was fascinated because i i remember when andrew marr did a, a documentary on the history of britain and all i think and he, and he did a whole bit on musical and i found it kind of fascinating the work of little titch Mary Lloyd, that he, he little focused Little
1: yeah, Harry Ralph, yeah. I mean, a, a great artist, and even even that, you uh, well, it's not used these days when when one needs to be kind, uh, apparently. Um, um, but Titch, we all knew a Titch. <laughs> and it comes from Harry Ralph, yeah, Little Titch. And um, if, P, if it's unfamiliar to people, um, go onto YouTube and look at his great dance um. But, yeah, he was, a, he was a huge star, very talented, um, multilingual. Who um, was
0: the guy who had very long shoes? That's him, Little Titch. Blimey, I should have known that. What, what, a,
1: what a great dance, you know. It, he was superb. Um, yeah, I love all of that. And um, as I mentioned, um, I, I think the genre tr- really and truly... Well, it stops really in the First World War when jazz comes into things because, um, you know, when jazz and ragtime comes into it, it stops it having its own particularly uh, English um, generic feel to it, for, for me at least. And critically, it's seen as ending around the First World War. And, I, you know, it goes as far as to say, with Mari Lloyd, as I mentioned earlier. As, as, as I felt when I was 15, 16, the way I felt pop and rock had gone the way of John Lennon. Um, music Hall certainly went with Mari Lloyd. Um, also, again, she brings in that arithmetical thing I mentioned uh, in that it's easy for me to remember her dates because I share I share a birthday with Mari Lloyd uh, and also Grant McLennan. Uh, February the twelfth, uh, so it's easy for, remember, for me mm. to remember her birthday. But also, she dies on Luke Haynes's birthday, seventh of October. So I, I'm full of that kind of uh, fascinating, you know, in a in a David Eastor kind of way. Fascinating, not really, you might say.
0: <laughs> no, but it is very, you know, I, I you know, I found that, and the stories of people like even Charlie Chapman's, life and and how well, he, again,
1: he he and Stan laurel were as as I'm sure you're perhaps I mean intervening, perhaps you're about to say, both will, in their recollections um, talk about Dan Lena and how they took they they were much influenced by Dan Leno again, a name that was revisited in Peter acroyd's book and in the, uh, the film made a few years ago of that novel um the Limehouse Golem, um, that, that book. Yes. Know.
0: Yeah. My God, it's there. So with the album, just, just going back to that, there's 14 songs. Actually, I've said that before. Um, what, did you record these? Have, have these been in your folders and written over the last two decades that you just started thinking, right, I've had a chat with John. He's saying, yes, with the album, i better get going.
1: Oh no! I recorded it. Uh, I, I when I dropped John a line, it was with the album fully complete. Right, you did it. Yeah. That, again, with my feeling, when I did play Dusty for me, I um, I don't. Yeah. Uh, and I think I think most people might do something similar or the same these days. And for me, it, it was necessary because, um, it. it Happily, things worked out well with John, but if if one waits until you get in touch with a record label and say, hey, I'd like to record an album, how about it? Um, I don't think that's, you know, (laughs) these days. Uh, Certainly with my track record where I've already mentioned that for me, you know, the reception of a record is no marker of a success. You know, some extraordinarily dreadful records have been massive sellers. And probably many of my favorite records have sold very few. Um, And we know, you know, legendarily, we all, you know, the story of the Velvet Underground. And, you know, if you listen to Max's Kansas City where, you know, the applause sounds like, you know, the beginning of rain on a conservatory roof, you know, (laughs) it's, and they were magnificent and yet very few, certainly the, you know, The legend is that very few people bought the records. And it becomes, um, you might say, um, you know, a good uh, consolation for not having hit records. You can think, we must be fantastic because no one's buying the records, just like (laughs) the world. Yes. um, Yeah, but on a serious note, yeah, for me, the thing was... um, well, it sounds like Frankie Howard, please yourself, please yourselves. <laughs> um, and really, I think that there is no better um, uh, ethic than please yourself. And, and I did that and, uh, you know, I made the record that I wanted to hear and I wanted to buy and to be available also. And as you mentioned, you know, some of some of the melodies, uh, and until you make an album, of course, you have a few things knocking around in the in the treasure chest. Mm. I'll finish that one day, or you know that needs a middle eight, or that needs you know another verse here, or um, you know or a coda or something. And um, but you always you know it's, it's you know you have these um, unfinished children. <laughs>
0: Yes. So did around. you, so you got your, you got the band together, including Hate, Des, Rob, is it Dwayne? Well, and then you, and then you Dwayne, got the song. I, had you, had you re- rehearsed the songs before going into I, the studio? I, didn't,
1: I did not get a band together as such. Um, as I mentioned, Des, who had helped assemble Small Time, he's a long time friend of 30 odd years. And um, again, it's, you know, my wife is very good at, you know, making regular arrangements to see her friends. I don't know if it's a a, man, a male thing, a man thing. And again, <laughs> I don't know how this fits in with current sensibilities, but, you know, in the old fashioned sense, I, I, I don't know if it's, uh, so in my case, a, a man thing that tend to um, get, you know, arranged to see old friends when we've got something to do. Uh, you know, and you find time can just pass by and you think, God, I haven't seen them in ages. I um, have to write a few songs and records something <laughs> as a you know as a project. And you know with my idea of thinking, yeah, I can do my five records in consecutive decades and um, um, and get together because again I don't I don't live on, in or around London anymore, so it you know it, there isn't a casual way of seeing old friends. This is, you know, this invention, Zoom and uh, Google Meet and other, others are available as as I believe one should say. Um, yes. You know, it, it helps you keep in touch with people uh, in a way that feels, you know, even a little more closely than the telephone. But um, yeah, so I didn't really assemble a band, um, but, you know, I got those songs together, played with Des and... Um, Rob, who plays drums and it, is a friend of his, who I've known through him, friend of a friend, through years. Very nice and very talented drummer. Um, Luke, again, I've known for the longest time in music. Uh, Dwayne, who plays trumpet, uh, is in fact, uh, you know, I I was uh, an academic for very many years. I left only last year. And Dwayne is in fact one of my former students. And um, he's uh, a good man. He he's he teaches music now in Exeter. And um, the thing is, I'd I wanted to work with um, I've never worked with any kind of brass, uh, you know, brass section or, or, or trumpet or trombone or anything. And I really wanted to. And I remember he played and um, he was a mature student when he was in my uh, modules at at the university and um, kept email addresses, you know. Um, So I dropped him a line and he was, yeah, he was very pleased to do it. And the thing was in in indie rock, you know, Mm -hmm. you find a lot of people who play guitar, you know, quite a number who play bass. You know, your drummers. You know, those spontaneously combusting.
0: You, you can't. You bass. can't dust for um, vomit, can you?
1: <laughs> but uh, you you rarely meet. You know, it isn't often that you meet people who play. You know, you might say uh, either classical or otherwise. You know, non-standard rock and roll. Um, guitar bass drums kind of instrumentation so i was so pleased and so thankful that he was able to um to play on it and he, i think he really adds something um, really valuable to it. yes
0: well it does it does evoke because a lot of your songs with you know my beautiful england the modern ruins of old london tone um yes there, there is a sort of quality isn't there the age of unenlightenment General Gordon's last stand. You, you do sort of. Do, do you sort of um, have quite a melancholic quality sometimes when you are creating songs?
1: Uh, well, yes and no. Um, I. Um, how does one answer? You know, I, I, I'll feel very. Uh, uh, I'll feel. You know, I'll, I'll be that. You know. That uh, Ponce who got very introspective on the C eighty six show, if I go <laughs> too far into it. But um both, you know, one and the other. So it's not a very satisfactory. I suppose I don't really register my uh, my emotional response to it. I just uh, write what comes.
0: Yes. Yeah. But do you do you have a fascination for history? Yes, yeah.
1: And um yeah, a fascination for it. And also, um, you know, uh, uh, an insistence on rigor. And um, if there's a sadness about anything, you you could say it's about, you know, things are being done to history, you know, which are highly regrettable. You know, so. I, you know, that feeds into it. And if there's a sense of melancholy in that, it's, it's probably that, um, you know, there's, there's a lot more of uh, uh, an undesirable element in uh, modern research and um, teaching. Now that, um, but I'm, you know, uh, of which I am not fond.
0: Do you mean, when you say that, is it the sense of not history being retold, but more parts of history that hadn't been told that's being told?
1: Well, the way you phrase that, you talk about, you know, where people do rewrite history with an agenda. You know, I'm sure they believe that they are um, as, you know, as as been written, you know, I'm sure they believe they are thrusting fact into the past, but there's a lot of presentism around now. And I, um, I abhor um, poor academic practice, you know, presentist um, attitudes to these things that are really um, very disappointing.
0: Yes. It's a, it's a complex subject. Well, it's con- yes. history is always, is always fascinating. So, look, have you got any live dates that you've got possibly planned for the launch of the album?
1: The launch of the album, in fact, um, I am, and uh, thank you so much to Future Radio and David on and C86 Show um, for hosting this uh, this conversation but uh, the launch of the album will be on a if I can call it a rival station um, uh, Luke Haynes's show on uh, Boogaloo Radio.
0: Boogaloo yes. Uh, j-
1: join me and join me and Luke Haynes on um, Friday the 14th of October on uh, Boogaloo Radio, and um, revisit Future Radio for what they are ever, whatever they're doing. At the same time, you can catch up on Future Radio while you're listening to Boogaloo Radio.
0: So why didn't you uh, have the, the seventh? The
1: will be on radio.
0: So why didn't you have the seventh of October?
1: Because well, it, it's I mentioned it's uh, I mentioned that Mari, uh, it was I did um, <laughs> I did propose it with Luke, and I, but as I guessed, it's remember I said that. The date that Murray Lloyd died is also Luke Haynes' birthday. So that will be, you know, that will be a bank holiday in, in the Haynes household, you know. Yes. Um, no work on, on his birthday. So so if already you're a regular listener of Luke Haynes, you can... Um, Tune in. You, can, you know, it will be, um, it will be uh, what's his name, Father Yod, on, you know, the, the show that gets regularly repeated on, on October the 7th. Yes. Um, yes, 12 noon till 2 pm on Friday, October the 14th. Please join me and Luke Haynes on Future Radio. Excellent. I don't know if, if this will survive on, on the, as, a,
0: as a jingle. for As a jingle, it Future might be. Radio. A, we might put it as a jingle, actually. I um, mean, if you could have said sort of a few key things to your 16 year old self starting out, is there anything that you might have whispered in their ear that would have just thought, yeah, that would have been good to have known?
1: Well, I. It, let's, uh, when I think of that question, I'm always reminded that my late father gave me what I always counted as some very good advice. Um, don't put yourself out, son. They won't think anything more of you. And I, I strongly recommend that to anyone. Um, and um, at the same time, you know, it, it's another way of saying please yourself and, um, you know, again, it's a good way to go about uh, any any artistic endeavor. If if you don't please yourself, you know, you can't really expect to please anyone else. I, I think, um, I think, you know, perhaps with the possible except exception of striptease, um, um, but otherwise, I would say, um, in general, um, if I ever had any misgiving, and I mentioned that, you know, I had. A lonely time early on um, I would say everything's going to be all right and um and it it has been you know it's it's been everything's gone very well for me you know I'm really uh lucky and uh delighted you know my wife Patsy is uh you know
0: everything for me and um and other than that,
1: more specifically, I could say, I suppose, if you said what, what I usually say, 16, I would say when the time comes along, give the enemy a better track for C86. Oh, yes,
0: absolutely. Yeah. But at least you didn't do what Phil Wilson did of uh, The June Brides and turn down the chance to be on the compilation. Indeed. Which was Indeed. a mistake. But the album's going to be available as a vinyl. Compact disc, and also as a digital download. Yes,
1: yes, and as I say, I, I've never um, downloaded anything myself, but um, I, I understand uh, the young people are doing that now. Well, really, <laughs> beyond that, democratic.
0: Yes, uh, even but people
1: my age are doing that. Our,
0: I, age are doing that. I don't know. It seems a bit, you know, it's not the sort of thing you should. I don't think you should start it in oh, later on.
1: Oh, please buy the artifacts. Um, just yes, tiny global productions. David Westlake, my beautiful England. It will, it will, it will play um, Another thing is, you know, if it's if it helps any uh, anyone who might be uh, undecided, uh, what I see on eBay, uh, my past records do seem to hold their value. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yes in this day and I've
1: age it. so invest now for um for a happy retirement
0: yeah absolutely yeah. and just as a curious curiosity where were your photographs taken for the album on the cover and on the back cover
1: uh on the front cover in um in rural whitney oxfordshire and on the back cover um That picture is, um, I had to, because originally I had, the front cover um, was originally the back cover, um, and I changed uh, that and uh, needed a new picture quickly and found uh, one of me at, that's at Hampton Court Palace, and uh, it's sitting on the wine fountain. And those um, figures that you can see with me are uh, imagine fig- figures from the 16th century. Um, it was Henry VIII who had a wine felt and built in the first courtyard at Hampton Court Palace. Uh, you can still see it there. And um, that was for, while he was deciding if he wanted to see people, they could um, refresh themselves. And as you can see, I'm not sure if the, uh, the gentleman uh, on the back cover On the right, I'm not sure if he's um, fatigued through waiting to be given, you know, uh, an address, an audience with Henry VIII, or if he's just very drunk.
0: It does look Um, like a scene from a festival or Freshers' Week at university, doesn't it? I don't think. um, Yes, it's good, though. It's good. I, 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 I mean, I like your little sort of, yeah, moment with the woman.
1: Thank you, my my moment with the woman. I like that. Okay.
0: <laughs> well, quite decent.
1: So anyone listening, that has to be worth it. That has to be worth. Yes, it. go and buy the
0: record and then you can look at the picture. That's there. Yeah. There's fourteen
1: cool. songs, and uh, as you say, and um, and I encourage people to. Um, by the record and it, other and other good records on tiny global productions.
0: Yes, well, I think it does come with a certain ethos, doesn't it, and um, quality control.
1: It is authentic—a a word that's uh, perhaps uh, been used so profligately that um, to the point of being inauthentic. It has a yes. kind of well,
0: word. actually, nowadays a lot of people use the word. Um, oh God, now I forgot what it is, is, actually. Uh, Oh fuck! I just oh it's um narrate. Is it narrate? It's no, it's curate. It's um someone someone finds the use of people saying it's curated really irritating.
1: Well, I know that as a verb. Are you saying it's used as a noun or
0: or an adjective? I guess it's just used as a way of sort of describing, like John's label, saying, "Oh, he's created this fantastic label." Right,
1: okay. I I, think, I, it's the first I've heard of that. I've, I've learned several things. This evening. You have, yeah. but
0: you can get yourself into trouble because someone might say, no, that's not a correct term. You shouldn't use it in that context.
1: Okay, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll use it advisedly.
0: Yeah. We'll not you. use it
1: advisedly. Yeah.
0: We'll use it and see what they say. They might, they might pick you up and you think, oh, yeah, I won't do that again in this day and age.
1: Again, it's, it sounds like a bandwagon. I, I really, uh, you know, shouldn't jump on it. So.
0: No, God, don't. Not at our age. No. It, it might end in tears. But look, thank you ever so much for this. And uh, I, will, I will sort of spread the word and it will be amazing. I'm sure your fans will just love this all over the world. This is going to be good.
1: Well, it's always a surprise, even when you use the word your fans. Um, some... Uh, yeah, I'm humbled. Thank you very well, much. It's gonna uh, be anyone listening. Um, um if, if you've listened this far, my goodness, um, thank you for staying the course. And um I, I hope to um
0: Oh well, did you just you. the last thing and quite briefly, did you enjoy both the Neil Taylor book, C eighty six and all that, and also Nigel's book, Whatever Happened to the C eighty six kids?
1: I've I've just received uh, Nigel's book and um had a very um very pleasant afternoon in in the pub with him doing that, night and uh, I look look forward to reading that. And um, I think he has. I, I've read another of his books, uh, Mister Gig, um, um, and uh, he has a very warm, welcoming style. So I'm sure I'm sure it. I
0: know it's going to be
1: great. And
0: Neil and Neil and, T- uh, T- and Neil Taylor's book C86. I, and all that. Um,
1: he, that seems to have attracted some kind of uh uh mythology to it on it, on itself um uh i um yeah i am not sure about that one um but i thought it, i thought it had a wonderful title um because but I, again i'm not sure how you know it's 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 plainly a reference to sellem Yeatman's ten sixty six and all of that which is a marvellous book. And I strongly recommend any if if people don't have that, Seller and Yeatman, um, 1066 and all that. Um again, it would be a great primer for anyone who is um butchering history, you know, um currently. Um it would be a, a marvelous um first approach to um you know, a good attitude to academic practice
0: yes so so I have got a copy of that one so you're saying this has been slightly I tell you what it's it's a wonderful cover isn't it
1: I I I I, uh, admire the cover greatly and um,
0: I uh,
1: yeah and I'm looking forward to Nigel's book uh, very (laughs) much (laughs)
0: Yes, well, I did buy the T-shirt and I was a bit disappointed with the graphics, but...
1: Oh, oh the, the T-shirt, is, is there a T-shirt?
0: There was a T-shirt for the, that Neil had with the book, but, you know, I thought... I didn't,
1: I... Hear, from, I didn't hear from him after um, doing the interview. Um, uh, he, he seemed um, elusive, I, I think, for, for some people.
0: Yes, I haven't, I mean, he's disappeared again anyway.
1: Yeah, you know, I felt there was a certain kind of John Stonehouse um, resemblance to some of that. You know, I heard about it from Pete Astor. um, And, um, yeah, I I mean, I don't know um, him. Uh, uh, What's his name? Um, Neil. Um, But, uh, again, it seems to have attracted... I think, you know, there's a book to be written about the circumstances of that, that book. Um somehow from different things I've heard from them. Yes. Here and there.
0: I think it was yeah, it was crowdfunded and it was a bit tricky, wasn't it?
1: Well, you said that.
0: <laughs> I said <laughs> that. Uh, no, no. No, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um uh yeah. yeah. I don't I don't think crowdfunded so I, is...
1: I i I'm, I'm nothing to do with it. But... No.
0: But anyway, Nigel's books are delight, and it's it's a bit like absolutely,
1: and it's all above board, and uh, I think it's now available, and um, from
0: all good bookshops, and it's (laughs) it's if you like Bill Bryson, you'll love this book.
1: Excellent, excellent, and um, yeah, I think I think it's the uh, the go to book on C eighty six. It
0: is. It is definitely will be. Look, thank you ever so much. This has
1: been amazing. A pleasure. Take care. um, Thank you to everyone who listened, and and. Good night and
0: goodbye. And um, please play the record. I will play the Yes, we will buy the record. Buy the record. That's it. Take care. Okay.
1: Thanks a lot. Bye,
0: Bye. And that was me in conversation with David Westlake, talking about his life in music, the servants and solo work and much more. And as he said, the new album is out-ish. Uh, it's on Tiny Global Productions, which is a fantastic label. It is titled My Beautiful England. This has been the C86 Show. This is David Eastall. If you want to contact me, you can on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Just do C86 Show. Keep it positive, please. And all these have been archived, aren't you lucky? Um, You can find those on Spotify, iTunes, Podbean. Anyway, stay safe. Take care.